Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. One sentence summary. Nudge shows you how you can unconsciously make better decisions by designing your environment so it nudges you in the right direction every time temptation becomes greatest and thus build your own choice architecture in advance. My favorite quote from the authors is First, never underestimate the power of inertia. Second, that power can be harnessed. Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein This book was co-authored by two professors. One is Cass Sunstein, who taught law for 27 years and worked in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs under Barack Obama from 2009 to 2012. He recently made his debut on 4-Minute Books with the wonderful but totally unrelated The World According to Star Wars. His partner in nudging, Richard Thaler, is a professor of behavioral economics at the University of Chicago, where Sunstein also taught. Thaler has worked with Nobel Prize laureate Daniel Kahneman, and both have pushed the envelope of the science of decision-making quite a bit. He was even featured as himself in the Hollywood blockbuster The Big Short. Great movie about finance, by the way. What makes this choice book different is its focus on environment design, rather than improving your inner strength, willpower and so on to make better decisions. Here are my three favorite lessons. 1. A nudge is a subtle cue or context change that pushes you to make a certain decision without forcing you to. 2. One of the most powerful nudges is the default. 3. When states use nudges well, they can improve entire countries. Need a nudge in the right direction? This ought to do it. Nudge, lesson 1. Nudges are tiny hints or changes which push you in one direction but leave all options open. This answers the question, what is a nudge? Have you ever been talked into going out by a friend, at first not wanting to go, but after she teased you a bit and you dressed up, you ended up having a really good time? That's a nudge in action. Used right, a nudge is a very small action or change in environment which makes it easier for you to make the decision that's best for you, without forcing you to decide a certain way. For example, if the cafeteria puts the fruits next to the registrar and not the candy bars, you would eat more bananas, simply because they're easier to pick up. When the cashier at McDonald's asks you, do you want fries with that, that's also a nudge, but one in the wrong direction. The little flag some mailboxes have that turns up when mail is inside the box? Another nudge. We're being nudged all day, sometimes towards good decisions, sometimes towards bad ones. The cool thing is, you can design your environment in ways that more good nudges will happen. For example, by installing blocking software to restrict access to distracting websites. Nudge, lesson 2. A default is a very powerful nudge as it requires you to actively object it for it not to work. This answers the question, what's the most powerful nudge? Sometimes, it's possible to design situations where decisions need to be made in a way that, if you decide automatically, you naturally make the right choice. For example, if you send an email through Gmail and type something like, please find attached or I will attach the file in the email's body, and you then forget to upload the actual attachment, Gmail automatically prompts you with the question, did you want to send an attachment with this? It's a very situation-specific nudge, but it can save tons of time and frustration in the long run. This particular type of nudge is called a default. 
Default nudges are set up in a way that if you do nothing, you'll still do the right thing by sticking to the preset standard. At scale, companies can use this by automatically enrolling their employees in their matching retirement plan programs, unless they explicitly object to participating. This helps a lot of lazy people save for retirement, because they would never have enrolled if they'd had to actively do it themselves. Similarly, gyms and magazines abuse this by automatically renewing your subscription, unless you cancel it. Again, nudges can be used both ways. Nudge Lesson 3 States and other large institutions can use nudges to improve societies and countries as a whole. This answers the question, how can something as little as a nudge help improve an entire country? Here's a really basic way of describing how states work. If the majority of its members make good decisions, the welfare of the state grows. If the majority makes bad decisions, it declines. For example, 75% of Americans make bad food choices and are therefore either obese or overweight. Imagine all of these people would eat healthier. Obesity would go away and thus the expensive health problems that come with it. The country would save billions of dollars in treatments, surgery costs, health insurance expenses and so on. It would be a win-win. Same with smoking. Sure, a nudge at scale costs a bit to set up, but its effects usually kick in fast. For example, since it's become mandatory to report carbon emissions, the emissions themselves have gone down significantly, just because companies have to be transparent. No law says that they have to emit fewer carbon dioxide, yet because critics can point fingers, businesses naturally compete to be eco-friendlier. Another cool stateside nudge is the dollar a day program, which gives teenage mothers one dollar each day they don't get pregnant again. $365 may sound like a lot, but it's much cheaper than having to take care of a newborn or trying to relocate it to a good family. If they use nudges right, governments and large institutions can spur wise decisions at scale and thus make life better for everyone. Here's what I learned from Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. Okay, first of all, I want to explain the scene from the big short in which Richard Thaler is featured so that when you watch that movie, you know who he is and you can put him into context and remember the summary. So in the movie, The Big Short, he explains a, it's called a collateralized debt obligation squared, CDO. So basically, and what people did on Wall Street before the 2007-2008 crisis and before the housing market collapsed is that they basically bet on the bonds that included all the bad loans from the houses. People made side bets on the trend of these bonds. These bonds were rated really high, AAA rating, which means really, really good likelihood of payback is really, really high, when actually the loans that were inside them were being abandoned by the minute because the people couldn't pay them, right? So the rating, the label on how good the bond was, was, was wrong. But people bet on that bond and then they made side bets, which is like, if you, so and this is where Richard Thaler comes in, he explained the hot hand fallacy. 
Let's say you play blackjack and you hit uh, 20 or you win five uh, rounds in a row, right? So people see, oh, you're winning and they expect you that whatever has happened before will continue to happen, right? You have, it's called the hot hand fallacy. So people expect you to win more and keep winning because you're on a hot streak. And that's when people start making side bets, right? So people might say, you play your blackjack game, but somebody behind, standing behind might say, I bet you 50 bucks that he's going to win that round too. And then someone else might bet another round and say, I bet you 200 bucks that that guy betting 50 bucks that he's going to win, wins that bet. And so on. And you make a bet on a bet on a bet on a bet. And that's what happens with the CDO squared is that you make further bets on the same bonds, except that the leverage gets higher and higher and higher because it's one abstraction level higher. So that the money that's thrown around and put on this one thing, riding on this one bet, this one round of blackjack, it gets more and more, it gets exponentially higher and it's really crazy. So if there's, say, a CDO bond with like 20 million inside it, there might be a billion dollars riding on it in the market. And if that bond fails, not only the 50 million, the 20 million bet is off, but there's 1 billion down the drain because other people bet on the same thing, right? That's what Richard Thaler explains. It's called the hot hand fallacy. And that's what he explains in the big short. So you see that uh, Selena Gomez is in that scene too. She's playing blackjack and he's actually explaining it that way. So that's the first thing. <clears throat> the second thing I want to do is to explain a couple more nudges and give you some more examples, right? I think that's the best thing I can do. So first of all, I'm glad I didn't put this in there, uh, a very powerful state nudge that Austria, small country below Germany, not Australia, Austria, is using is for organ donors. So in Austria, everyone is an organ donor by default, right? So when you're born, you're entered into the system as an organ donor. So yes, is the default option. And if you don't want to be an organ donor, you just have to say to the um, government, I don't want to be an organ donor, and they will take you out of the database, right? That's it. That means 90% of people in Austria are organ donors. 90% are, do are organ donors. Very, very powerful. In Germany, you have to get a card and, and your insurance company will usually send you the card once a year or so to ping you to do it. Um, but then you have to fill in the card and you have to keep it in your wallet and that makes you an organ donor, right? So you have to actively choose it. Guess how many people in Germany are organ donors? 10%, right? So it's the exact reverse. In Germany, 90% don't donate their organs simply because it's it requires effort to do so. So if the government would just say, you know what, you're an organ donor, if you don't like it, just say no, that would mean high, much higher rates of organ donations, right? Super powerful. I mean, organ donations. And <clears throat> it's not 1800. It's not like we are burying people who are still alive. So the verification methods for people dying have become really, really good. So you're when you're dead, people know um, and doctors know that you're dead. And then you could safely take out your organs and you could donate them. But because we don't have the default set that way, a lot of people don't. Hmm. Um, but some more practical and more personal nudges for you to apply in your own life. So uh, um, I have uh, lots of them going on. We all have. And some are good, some are bad. I want to point out two bad ones that I think you can avoid or you can at least look out for. Uh, one is, is a perfect example. I've been falling for it for the past couple of days quite a bit. It's the next episode button on Netflix. 
right? So, or when you watch episodes somewhere, whatever, Amazon or, or DVD, and so you know, you have your favorite show, House of Cards, I'm watching Entourage right now, so it's happening with me, King of Queens, whatever it is. And you get to the end of an episode, it's done, and then it says next episode. And all you have to do is click a button and boom, you're down another 20 minutes. And um, maybe you'd want to watch just one episode, but because it was so easy, the nudge was right there, you know, like, there's another episode, just go for it. Same is the autoplay feature on YouTube. I've disabled that. I think it's horrible um, because there's another notch that's bad enough as it is. So on YouTube, if you don't disable it, you watch a video and then there's like a 10 second loop that expires and then you're automatically played a related next video. Super bad. Um, because what's already bad enough, and it's the other notch, is in the sidebar you have all these related videos with thumbnails and these are so enticing too, right? You just want to click on them and just watch the next one. Uh, another bad nudge is in when you're at a bar or restaurant, uh, sometimes they will ask you, for example, when you've had a main course, they'll ask you, do you want to have dessert? A lot of people want, want dessert and that's fine. But if you're either overweight or running the risk of it, or you want to restrict calories or you don't want to, dessert or want to eat dessert for health reasons, this can be very troubling because it's very easy to say, yes, I want dessert. Same thing with when you order a beer, and it happens in Munich all the time. So you order a beer, it's called a Helles, we say a Helles, which means a light one. It's just a name for it in Munich, um, uh, that's commonly used. So you empty your beer, and as soon as the waiter comes back and sees you have an empty glass sitting there, and you're two guys, he'll say, noch zwei Helle, which means another, do you want two, be two more beers? And you just nod, or, or mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then you just get more beer, right? Super easy. On the other hand, good nudges. So a good nudge, for example, is when I have right now, right here, I have magnesium tablets set on my table. And I did a run three days ago, two days ago. And after it, I took some magnesium to make sure that my legs recover well. And I thought, hmm, you know what? I should probably take magnesium for the next two, three days to make sure I don't uh, sustain any damage from it, any muscle damage. So I just left the the pills, the, the, these are, you put them in water and then they dissolve. So the tablets, I just left the tablets on my desk. So now every morning I sit down and I have my glass of water next to it. I remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to take more tablets. So I just put one in and take it, right? Super easy. Also a nudge. Similarly, uh, when I open my laptop in the morning, I have just one screen and it says focus and it says follow one course until success. That's what it reads. And also, there are two very small post-it notes with my schedule on it, which has my daily schedule, Mondays for college, Tuesdays for writing an article, and so on. So that reminds me there. It's a nudge in the right direction. And I also have my goals on there for the month. So it's like one, two, three, three main goals. What am I supposed to work on? And that tells me that. So that's also a nudge to remember what's actually important. <clears throat> Okay, and last one, when I open my browser, I get an, a new tab and it's empty and it's with an extension called Momentum. It's for Chrome, I think also for Firefox, maybe, not sure. You can look it up, Momentum extension. Uh, and it just opens, it says, it has a clock, it says, good morning or good afternoon, Nicholas. And then it says, what is your main focus for today? And that's the first tab I see when I open a new session on a new day. And that's a very good question because then I can, there's even a line below where I can just write down, record new summaries for the four minute folio. And then I know what my main focus for the day is. And every time I open a new tab in my browser, I see it again. That's also a positive nudge. 
So I would say, conclusion, just think about the nudges in your life. Think about which ones there are already, which ones are good ones, which ones are bad ones. Can you avoid some? Can you cut some? Can you remove some of the bad ones? And which good ones or new good ones can you come up with and can you introduce into your own life? I hope you learned something and I will see you on the next summary.